Welcome to the latest episode of Schneps Connects. Today's guest is Lenia Chan, president and CEO of Live On NY. Having started his career as an ICU nurse in 1999 at Mount Sinai Hospital, he is a veteran healthcare executive with over 20 years of leadership experience. He previously served as president of the Hospital for Special Surgery's Innovation Institute. His leadership roles have spanned clinical, operational, marketing, communications, crisis management, digital transformation, branding, and innovation as he has served in several C-suite roles. Live On NY is a nonprofit organization committed to helping New Yorkers live on through organ and tissue donation and to caring for families touched by donation. They serve as the federally designated organ procurement organization for the greater New York City area. Great to have you on the show, Lenny. Thanks for joining us. Great to be here, and, and thank you for uh, having Live On New York on today. It's our pleasure. So I know, you know, organ donation, tissue donation, sometimes people, you know, may get grossed out by the thought of having to have, you know, theirs or their loved ones' body parts really donated. But but it really is a critical way of keeping so many people alive and, and really a way to help other people. So maybe you could just share a little bit about, you know, what organ donation is and, and how people can, you know, learn more about it. Sure. Thanks so much. And again, thank you for the opportunity to, to speak with the public about this important issue. You know, I, I like to say, and I've, I've spoken recently about it this way, but, you know, that good old saying, do unto others as you have them do unto you is top of mind when you think of organ and tissue donation, right? And it's organ, eye and tissue donation. So in the spectrum of that, um, so many people think about just organ donation. The reality is right now, whole bunch of your listeners are sitting down next to somebody who might have a dental implant, who might have some bone, who might have had a cornea transplant, who might have had a skin graft, um, cancer patients, burn victims, survivors. And then for those weekend warriors or professional or semi-pro athletes, or just that, you know, guy or gal on the golf course, they may have a ligament in them that came from a donor, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not just the solid organs we're talking about. It's that, you know, organized tissue donation can change lives and save lives, right? So top of mind, when you think about it, we don't need this stuff when we pass away. That's the primary thought, right? The secondary thought here is how can our family members, how can our community live on? What's their legacy, right? How can they become an organ and tissue donor hero? How could they live on? How could their memory live on? How could their legacy live on? And how could they help someone else live on? If we were in that circumstance and we needed that, if we needed that organ, if our child, our mom, our neighbor, our friend, our loved one needed that organ or needed that tissue, we would want somebody to step up to the plate. So it's kind of like you've got to think about it from both sides of the spectrum when you think about it, not just that front end. That's the uh, immediate human nature part of it uh, when people don't know about it and they think about it that way. But think about being on the receiving end of that and think about the precious gift of life that's entrusted. Think about like what it takes for that individual to be like so amazing to say, you know what, I want to be an organ donor, totally get that I don't need this with where I'm going. And I want to live on by helping somebody else live on. I think I think that's the framework mm -hmm. that people need to start to think about it. And especially in a in a post COVID world where we've, you know, had to sense our mentality and think about, oh, my goodness, I just sneezed, you know, am I gonna die? Uh, what's going on? You know, the anxiety associated to that over the last couple of years, it's changed the conversation. And we're getting out there more to help people understand that this is just 
uh, a normal conversation to have about helping others. And I guess to put that in perspective, you know, some of the latest numbers that we have is nearly 9,000 New Yorkers statewide, 131 of those are children under the age of 18 are waiting for a life-saving transplant. Absolutely. So here's how I like to talk about these numbers. Such an interesting number and such an interesting way to look at it. So 9,000 New Yorkers, yes. And 100,000, over 100,000 people in the US, yes, are waiting on that list. But you know, what we don't often talk a lot about are the people headed to that list, right? So when you really think about it, and this may sound harsh to some, this may sound surprising to some, that 9,000, yeah, that's a a lot. And we need to make that zero. 9,000 people woke up this morning, right? Questioning whether they'll be here tomorrow. We have to fix that as a community. 100,000 people more or more across the US. But what's really more interesting are the tens of millions of people, right? who have cardiac disease, pulmonary disease, GI disease, who are, you know, have comorbidities, diabetics, those who are on dialysis, right? So think about that number, right? So this is not hundreds of thousands. Now you're talking about millions of people heading to that list, which is why we have to get ahead of it. And getting ahead of it isn't just about organ donation and tissue and and, and eye donation. Getting ahead of it's about prevention. It's about wellness. It's about living a better lifestyle. It's about understanding these issues and getting ahead of them, getting way ahead of them. We want that. We want that. At the same time, when that doesn't work out, we want to make sure that we're here for each other. And we want to make sure that we can give somebody the opportunity to live on, including those children that you mentioned. So talk about if somebody wants to donate an organ or tissue, you know, they don't have to wait till their dying days, I assume. Like, what are the options and what do people do if they're thinking about it? Yeah, great question, right? So there's several ways to become an organ donor. The most common way is to sign up at the DMV. Uh, when you get your driver's license or when you renew your driver's license. Anyone else, you know, they could sign up as simply as going to liveonny.org. That's another way to do it. They could go on their state's registry. You know, you could just Google become an organ donor, you know, in New York, the New York State registry to sign up to be an organ donor, as well as Donate Life, which is a national database to sign up to be an organ donor. What we like to also tell people is, you know, tell your family and friends what your intentions are. Here's an interesting statistic uh, for your audience and the public listening today. So in New York, in our designated service area, the area that Live On New York serves, about 80% of the donors, the families who approve and say, yes, I want my loved one to be a donor. Yes, I want them to be a donor hero. I want them to save lives. About 80% of them are not registered organ donors. Mm. So, you know, they're not first person. So we need to both increase that first person registration for people who sign up, like you said, while they're healthy, while they're alive, you know, 16 and up, right? Age 16 and up. We need them to sign up to be organ donors, right? And we just need you to have a conversation with your family to make sure that they know that your intentions are to continue to help others even when you're not here. You know, you mentioned the eyes and tissues and, you know, like what really can be donated? You know, in regard to tissue, a single donor could save, you know, anywhere from 50 to 75 lives. Wow. Tissue can include cornea. Yeah, yeah. And it's amazing, right? That's why we're talking today. That's why it's so important to get this message out. A single tissue donor, right? So you're talking about the ability to give sight back to someone, right? With corneas, tendons, heart valves, veins, skin, 
bone for musculoskeletal issues, right? Um, it could benefit patients in a, in a serious, a serious, you know, many patients in a, a host of uh, serious or life-threatening medical conditions, right? So patients who have severe burns, allowing athletes, or again, your weekend warrior, or just that injury, right, of, of someone on the football field or baseball, uh, you know, with ligaments, tendons, to help them, you know, regain strength, to help them have a walk again, you know, and then also a big component of it, right, is, you know, the hope associated to it and the mobility to our military men and women who've been injured in combat. Mm -hmm. Um, And and then even again, as simply as you're sitting next to someone right now who may have had a dental procedure or reconstructive surgery and guess where that came from, right? If it's not artificial, it came from a donor who gave the most precious gift of life back to the community. What would you say as far as like getting over any misconceptions, what you're hearing from people that are hesitant to donate or, you know, may think things that are not factually uh, true. Yeah. Here, here's what I'd say. And and I was one of those people. So, you know, not, yeah. I mean, years ago, even being an ICU nurse, being in the healthcare field for 23 years, mm-hmm. knowing better, right. Having training and, and, you know, both in school as well as practice, I even may have believed some of these myths and legends back in the day. So I represent, you know, those people in your audience today who may think this stuff, but here's, here's what they need to know. Number one, all major religions support organ donation. Mm. That's right out of the gate. That's one of the biggest ones. Um, Anyone can sign up to be an organ donor, regardless of their age or their health. Many years ago, a, a Long Island woman, 93 years old, donated, was a donor, and her liver went to a, a 60-something-year-old female grandma who was able to then take her kids to Disney World and, and live the rest of her life. Yeah. I think the oldest organ donor is 96. That's undocumented. So that's another thing, right? Age, health, we encourage everybody to sign up. Let the doctors determine uh, the health of the organs at that time. So that's one of the biggest misconceptions. I'm not healthy enough. I'm not going to be a donor. Someone said I couldn't. Sign up. Let, yeah. let the team and the medical professionals figure that out when that time comes, if that time comes. You know, doctors will work just as hard to save a person, even if they're an organ donor. So one of the misconceptions is, hey, if I'm on that registry, they're not going to save me if I get a, a brought into an emergency room. Reality here is those are two totally different teams. That set of doctors in that emergency room, those ICUs, that's not a transplant team. They're completely separate. There is the highest likelihood that your organs may go to someone in a different institution completely. That's what happens most of the time. There is even a higher likelihood that it's going to go out of state, you know, because of new regs that are supporting sharing of organs across um, state borders, right? So there is a complete separation of the medical teams caring for that. That's another big misconception. And with that, you know, the wait list is completely blind. So there's a lot of people who say, oh, you know, the rich and famous get organs. It's not for the average person. It's not for me. Um, I'm not going to benefit from that. Not the case. The wait list is completely blind. It's a federal database that goes by the sickest patient and then uses calculations based on the, the organ and timing and distance um, to determine where those organs go. So, so those are some of the really big ones, you know, and, and look, New York's a melting pot of culture. And, and we have all the reasons in the world why people may believe a lot of these things. So we're just trying to debunk those as we go. What about COVID? You know, it's brought on for people the reality of death, the thought of, you know, risk of dying. Has it changed any trends in terms of organ donation or opened yeah. up people to conversation? 
Yeah. So we know that here in New York, it definitely has. And, you know, the acute impact of it, I think is obvious. We could all relate to it here today, even in conversation, right? We did not think about death the way that we may have prior to 2020, prior to seeing you know, it all around us and having to question our mortality. Again, whether you had a cold or a bad allergy season, it made you think, it made you stop. It made you have conversations with your family that you may have never thought you'd have to have, no matter what age you were, no matter what condition or health conditions you had. So yes, we see that. Number two is, you know, from a national data set, organ donation is up. It's more supported than ever before. UNOS has reported, you know, significant increases in New York, our increases are up pretty, pretty significantly as well. And, and it's hard to say that because we'll never be satisfied because we want mm. a wait list, right? So I could tell you that, you know, last month in May, we exceeded last year's numbers by over 100%, meaning more than 100% lives saved than 2021. We had an, a, an amazing first quarter heading into six months. We still continue to trend upward, but it'll never be good enough. As long as there's a single person on that wait list, we could talk about data all day, but it'll never be good enough because we know 9,000 of our neighbors, friends, and loved ones here in New York woke up this morning waiting for somebody um, to do the right thing and become a donor and help them get off of that list. Uh, so yeah, COVID definitely elevated the conversation. You know, our organ donor heroes, you know, what we saw with, you know, Detective Mora, Firefighter Gerhardt, so many of the other, you know, examples of families who made selfless decisions to make their loved ones organ donation, uh, organ donors and tissue donors over the last uh, six months has also created a new conversation in the hospitals where we see families, even international families say, hey, I want my loved one. I know my loved one is passing away. I know that the doctors told me they have a grave prognosis. I know that, you know, they're, they're not going to make it. You know what? I, I want them to be an organ donor hero. I want them to be like the firefighter. I want them to be like the NYPD officer. I want them to be like these other, you know, heroes that we've heard about. Those conversations happen. And it's amazing to see. It's amazing to feel. It's wonderful for our staff and the community and obviously for those donor families to be able to do that and help somebody live on. So, yeah, COVID definitely elevated it. I, I would say the word is normalized. So I think yeah. conversations become a little more of a kitchen table conversation mm -hmm. and a family conversation, which was not true in the past. And is that something, you know, you were mentioning a family member that's ill in the hospital, potentially close to, to passing. Is that something that at that point the family can make the decision for the donations and how would they do that? Absolutely. And that is what represents when we look at our data, that represents about 80%. Wow. Yep. So people literally making the decision on behalf of a family member, Yep. you know, yep. after death or as they're approaching, you know, that's, that's right. Thing. That's right. 80%. So it's not people pre-registering to say, I want to donate. Not for not in the New York metropolitan area, the area we serve. So in our area, the data is very clear. I looked at it last night again. Mm -hmm. The data is about 80-20. Wow. And, you know, we want it to change. We want, we want both scenarios, right? Sure, but course. it does speak to a different mode of our community. It does speak to a different culture. And yeah. it does speak to the suspicions and the myths that have affected that. So we've improved registry a lot. New York has improved the registry a lot. But yeah. when we look at the conversations happening, it's actually, yes, like you said, the family members are saying, yes, mm -hmm. my mom, my dad, my son, my daughter, my, my loved one, you know, my significant other, 
uh, my partner, I know that they would want to do this. I know that they would want to save lives and I authorize this. So our teams work with them. They give consent, which is an authorization mm -hmm. for their loved one to be a donor. And then we move forward with donation. I guess part of it is human nature. It's like, I don't want to make the decision for myself of donating, you know, my organs or tissues, but I know that when it's my time, my family will make a, you know, the right decision kind of thing. Yeah. It's interesting. And in, in some States, they're as high as 90%. And in some counties in New York, they're over 70, 80% on the registry. So it's an interesting New York thing, maybe. And it's true in some other big cities and some mm -hmm. other States we've improved a lot. We have a lot more to improve. And, and this conversation in itself, this is going to move that needle. The advocacy well, it also goes to show what the potential could be to get more donations if people really think about it for themselves earlier in their lives. Absolutely. And that trend is happening. So again, that, that number is increasing and the teams that are working on that and Donate Life and you know, a host of others are doing a great job over the last decade and in increasing those numbers. But when we see what happens on the ground, it's still those families and holding their hand and having that tough conversation. It speaks to New Yorkers' generosity. It speaks to our community. And it speaks to, you know what, when it happens and when somebody needs me, I'm going to be there. You know, I may not appear that way. I may not say that. I may seem secretive about it. But when somebody needs me, a stranger, when a stranger needs me, I'm going to make the right decision. It's really a testament to our community. I think it's also powerful when you hear the stories from the people that have been saved. I know you have some of those stories on your website. So I don't know, maybe if you can share with our listeners, you know, what additional information they can get at liveonny.org. Yeah, if you go to, you know, liveonny.org, you'll see a host of, you know, stories of, of recipients as well as donor families and what it means to them. You can look at some content there and, and information. And it's really heartwarming when you see a transplant recipient get together with the donor's family and you see them engage as family together because that donor family or that donor help that person live on. So we stay in touch with our donor families and we do a lot of work with them after. We've got a great volunteer community and we're engaged with those families. Those families are, are huge advocates as well as with transplant recipients who are so grateful that this precious gift of life has been entrusted to us to help get to them and by the donor families and community to help them live on. So yeah, lots of great videos there and really hearing the point of view and the perspective of both transplant recipients as well as donor families, you know, really just changes the entire way that you think about this. Totally. You know, it's a hard topic to really, you know, address for people, but, you know, I'm sure that almost every parent on the earth would be begging to have the same blood type as their child. God forbid they would need, you know, an organ that they could donate to their own child. So it's like, you have to think about it, I think, in that way to be able to help others. Yeah. Doing to others as you have them doing to you. And if any of us were on that receiving end, right. And, and we could flip yep. that switch. We would want to do exactly what's being asked of us. And I think those that get that quicker or those who learn it in time or in that moment, when they really self-reflect, that's why they say yes. And that's why we've saved more lives uh, in the first six months of 2022 than ever before in New York State's history, working with our amazing transplant centers who do, do obviously all the, the clinical work and heavy lifting um, 
you know, at the end of the day, we're really a, a logistics organization, right? That's working with the medical community and healthcare ecosystem, but we're really working with community and we're managing all of the logistics to help people change and save lives. Our medical professionals and nurses and staff and, and everybody out there, that, that's what we do. We just sit in the middle of that. Well, Lenny, it was great talking with you and, and thanks for being on the podcast. You too. We appreciate your advocacy. And, and again, thank you to the New York community for being so generous. You, you know, broke those records in 2021 and heading that way in 2022, but we, we will never stop. We have so much more to do. Thank you. Thanks for listening into the Schneps Connects podcast. To hear all our episodes, visit podcast.schnepsmedia.com or make sure to subscribe to us on all major podcast networks.